You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. In a series called, called God of All Things. Here's what we believe. We believe there is a God, that he is creator of little Wesley. <laughs> he is maker. He's a designer. He's an architect of the things that we can see, that we can feel, that we can touch, that we can taste, smell, and experience. This is what we believe. We believe he made matter, and matter matters. We believe he created the law of nature, the laws of nature, uh, objects, planets, weather, colors, animals, vegetables, minerals, people. Uh, and uh, and not, not just people, but people with nose and noses and eyes and hair and hearts and blood. And that he created and made everything, skin and bones. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, it's a very opening sentence of the scripture says, and you, you'll, you'll know it if you've opened it, and if not, I'll read it for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Moses was writing this to a group of people who had just come out of Egypt and they had believed in, in Egypt in many gods, the God of the sun, the rain, the ground, the name it. They, they had a God for it. Uh, I've seen the recent Marvel series as well, right? They got a lot of gods, not very friendly uh, and uh, not very good, many of them, right? Uh, but Moses is saying to them, our God, Yahweh, we believe is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the maker of everything. The maker of everything. And this is what we believe. I won't beat around the bush. Uh, We believe that that God is the creator of all things. Now before um, those of you in this room who might consider yourself an atheist or a skeptic or just maybe scientific minded kind of just shut off. You're like, oh, okay. Oh boy. Okay. Another one of these churches, right? It's like, here's what I said last week. I want to say it again. Faith may not be by sight, right? It's, it's not by sight, but I do believe there are good reasons to believe. And so I don't tell you this morning, oh, just believe. Just believe me, right? Just take my word for it. But rather, I believe there are good reasons to believe what we believe. I believe that it's actually not just, uh, you know, plausible, but, but actually probable. That there is a God who made everything And uh, last week, we spent a considerable amount of time in our message trying, I I was trying to bring us to just a few apologetics. I talked about beauty, and I talked about fine-tuning, and I talked about just the unlikeliness of it all, that there is life, that we're talking about existence right now. Uh, It's just, it's just incredibly unlikely. But I want to make one correction, one correction from last week. I said something, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't true, wasn't correct. Uh, I had said that there was 25 different factors in in regards to fine-tuning, that if any of them was just the slightest bit off, the slightest bit off, that there would be no life, no existence, no universe. And I was wrong. That was really old science. There's actually more than 200 factors, (laughs) more than 200 factors, that if they're just the slightest little bit off by the smallest fraction... There's no existence, there's no life, there's no church today in Port Moody, there's no beautiful uh, mountains or the inlets, the tides, all these things, they don't exist. We are not breathing air, we are not here. And, And that is an incredible, incredible fact. 
In the 1960s, the New York Times released, a, a, it was an article or it was a, a magazine that said, Is God Dead? They felt that with our scientific kind of advancements, that we would very shortly and very quickly put an end to all this simpleton, small-minded, religious nonsense that people were believing, right? And, uh, and, and in that article, they outlined some of the reasons why they believed that this would happen very soon. But it was really interesting. At that point, they were trying to disprove that humanity or what we have here on earth is special, is special, is unique. They said, actually, based off our science, there is septillion, I've never even heard that word, but septillion planets in the known universe that likely has life. This is 1960s. But as the years went by and science advanced and we learned more about the universe, it went from septillion to, you know, a billion and then to a million and, and slowly worked its way down to the fact that it, it was actually highly likely that there should be no planets with any life on it. In fact, it started going into the negative uh, percentiles of the odds of there being life. And it continues to this day. The more we learn about the universe, the more unlikely it is that you and I are here today. And I think that is incredible. The odds really are, they're stacked against us being here. We're truly either the lucky benefactors of a creator, and that's what we believe, or we've won the lottery, we've won the lottery and we didn't even buy a ticket for it, right? <laughs> it's like, it's that unlikely, right? It's like, I won a lottery I didn't buy a ticket for. What? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just that unlikely that there is life and breath. Someone remarked, someone remarked the chances of there being life on this planet, there being a God of all things, there being a creator, is like taking a coin and, and flipping it I'll do it for us, actually, just for fun. Oh, that was, wow. <laughs> and getting heads every time, right? And, and it's, it's unlikely. It's incredibly unlikely. Not every time. Sorry, 10 quintillion times in a row, <laughs> right? It's like the, chat, the odds of there being life are highly, highly unlikely. There's a great guy named um, Fred Hoyle. He's an astronomer who actually was the one who coined the term Big Bang. And as he began to look at the science and science developed, it said that his atheism was greatly shaken at these developments. He continued and later wrote, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as with the chemistry and biology. The, number, the numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. What conclusion? The conclusion that there is an intelligent mind, the conclusion that there is, there is a being that has messed with the equations to make it at work and happen. This is how unlikely. The person who coined the term Big Bang, an astronomer, uh, the theoretical physicist Paul Davies said this, the appearance of design is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Oxford professor Dr. John Lennox, now Christian apologist, says this, the more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a creator gains credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. So this is what we believe. 
This is what we believe. And I promise I won't do this every week where I'm just going to pour into, you know, all the, the, like just boom, 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 boom. Just hit us with the fact that there's a creator. But I felt in these first two weeks, it's so important for us to establish. This isn't just like some pithy, uh, you know, experience as we just consider the creator of all things to warm our hearts slightly and something we do as human beings for just, you know, therapeutic deism. No. This is, this is based in, in reality. This is based in science. This is based in our experience that we are living as privileged people on a privileged planet in a highly unlikely universe <laughs> that God has created. And the believer, uh, or sorry, the, the writer of the Psalms believed this also. And we read Psalm 104, and Psalm 104 is kind of... Um, it's going to be our, the psalm that's just going to be kind of our grounding place throughout this mini-series that we're in. Probably one of the most beautiful psalms. Psalms are beautiful, but this one, I just, it, it hits me. He, he believed this. They believed this as they wrote this, that the God of the universe, Yahweh, was the creator of all things. And so, if you're willing, you're able, will you please stand in honor of God's word? We're going to read Psalm 104 again. But it's so long that I feel like something else is going to stick out to you, all right? <laughs> something else is going to stick out to you this week. So let's read this. Let all that I am praise the Lord. O Lord my God, how great you are. You are robed in honor and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride upon the wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers. Flames of fire are your servants. You place the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. You clothe the earth with floods of water. Water that covered even the mountains. At your command, the water fled, and at the sound of your thunder, it hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the seas so that they will never again cover the earth. Let it be so, Lord. You make springs of water pour out water into the ravens so the streams gush down from the mountains. They provide water for all the animals, and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home. You fill the earth with fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin, bread to give them strength. The trees of the Lord are well cared for, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. The birds make their nests and the storks make their homes in the cypresses. High in the mountains live the wild goats and the rocks form a refuge for the hyraxes. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to set. You send the darkness, and it becomes night. And when all the forest animals prowl about, then the young lions roar for their prey, stalking the food provided by God. At dawn, they slink back into their dens to rest. Then people go off to their work, where they labor until evening. O Lord, 
What a variety of the things you have made. In wisdom, you have made them all. Jesus, thank you for your word today. Oh, what beautiful words penned by this author, inspired by the Spirit for us today so that we could have an awakening, both believer and non-believer, to see that you are the God of all things. You are the God of all things. Help us to see that today. Encourage us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What a beautiful psalm. (laughs) It's big idea. And the big idea for this series is this. It's found in verse 24. You can underline it if you do that to your Bible. I don't. I just can't. But you can but you can do it. <laughs> There's nothing like it's not like it's legalistic or it's just I just don't. But maybe you do. Underline that verse, okay? Psalm 104:24. Oh Lord, what a variety of things you have made in wisdom. You have made them all. In wisdom you have made them all. And so every week we're going to pick a different thing. A different thing of God. Last week we talked about the earth. Happy belated Earth Day if you weren't here. And this week, we're talking about the stars and the galaxies. The stars and the galaxies. The things beyond our atmosphere. The things that we can see by day, but especially by night. The things that are far, far away. That we as children would dream about visiting. That we would have awe and wonder at as adults. Stars and galaxies. I remember being as a kid loving and just being obsessed with stars. And uh, when you were a kid, did you ever get one of those really bad telescopes, you know? And you would just look at the moon just like slightly closer, (laughs) you know, just slightly a little bit bigger. And you just marvel at it, right? And and you you would come up with theories and ideas and you would envision life on other planets. And your brain would just begin to explore as you looked at the stars, I remember looking up and just being so amazed. My, my, I remember even as a kid just having this wonder and this awe. But I also felt, as I considered it all, just smallness, maybe even lost, or if I'm honest, if I let my brain really think about it for too long, I felt a little bit of fear, a little bit of fear at what is out there. Do you remember those feelings? Do you remember asking the question, I wonder who made all this or how this came to be? Where did this come from? Do you remember as like maybe as you're like slipping into those preteen years, more like existential questions coming through your mind? Like, why am I here? Right? Like, we in the city don't get great views of the stars. In Port Moody, it's almost a wash. There's just so much light. There were a couple, I remember a couple years out back, there was a complete power outage. It was a beautiful, clear night, and I was just amazed. I couldn't believe, couldn't believe the stars that are above our city. But because we don't often get good views of the stars, and if you don't hike or camp or ever go anywhere remote, <laughs> I thought it might help us a little bit. Just look at some pictures of some of the incredible stars that we get to see from Earth. Let's go to the first picture and we can just, we can just scroll through these. This is what the night sky looks like, people. (laughs) If you're outside the city, keep going. Just incredible stars and galaxies and the Milky Way and 
just incredible brilliance, incredible brilliance. And this is just the stars we can see from Earth, right? But you're going to look at the next picture, and all of a sudden we, we get these views from telescopes and, and these, you know, cameras that are in space of incredible galaxies that are in our planets, just made up of multicolor, vast variety of light colors. I feel like when God says, like, no eyes see, no ears heard, like, the, you know, like what I've created, like, I, we're seeing some of this today, right? We're seeing some of this today. You can go to the next one, if there is a next one. Yeah. Wow. Right? And I feel like maybe for us, we've become a little bit numb to this. But if anyone in the, the first century or any century of any time before our time, they're, they're, they, they were already amazed at the night sky, but they didn't get pictures. They didn't get views like these of just the incredible diversity of color and light and chemistry and, and science that is taking place to produce and create and to be able to see this. It is truly amazing, and it's even more phenomenal. It is even more mind-blowing if you consider for a moment that he is the God of all things, the God who made this, the God who made this. This is um, in Psalm 104. The psalmist writes these words in verse 2. He says, you stretch out the starry curtains of the heavens. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. This is what God does. He just goes and stretches it out. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, 15, and 18, here's what it says. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, the days, the years. Isn't that interesting, just that line? Dave pointed this out to me this week, actually. Just this line here. I think a lot of us in our, like, 90s Christianity were told, like, stay away from astrology, all right? Like, don't open up the newspaper, right? Mom and dad would cut it out. They'd be like, nope, you ain't reading that, right? And, uh, and we, we kind of like, I don't know, made like the stars and the signs like a demonic thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Like some person, I don't know, sitting up in like the New York Times writing like, oh, you're an Aries. This is what's going to happen. As, okay, fair. But, but, but here, notice this. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, the days, the years. God's telling us that we can actually learn something or see something or actually know something through looking at the stars. In fact, at the birth of Jesus, pretty sure there was a star <laughs> that some wise guys uh, followed to come and meet King Jesus, right? To come and meet King Jesus. So I, I, I digress. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that's what happened. <laughs> I always love that. I, I was reading that line today and it just stuck out to me. And that's what happened. Just simply happened. Let's put that picture up again. Right, the picture of like the, and, and, and that's what happened, right? It's just, that's <laughs> like, what? Oh, continue. Uh, and, th and then it says, and God made two lights, the greater one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night. And he also made the stars. Another one of those throwaway lines, right? He said, oh, I, just so you know, I'm just talking about the sun and the moon, right? Oh, but he also just made the stars. Let's put up one of those other photos, right? Like, it's just like, yep. There, yeah, he just also made the stars. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's incredible. He also made the stars. Do you know there's 300 sectillion of them <laughs> in our night sky? That's what we know right now. There's probably more. 
300 sectillion of them in the known universe. Do you believe that? Do you believe he also made the stars? I understand it's hard to fathom a being creating anything in this vast a quantity, in this complexity, an incredible diversity. But the likelihood of anything other than God making them is actually, it's becoming increasingly implausible. Here's another momentary apologetic. He says, the fine-tuning necessary for life to exist on this planet is nothing compared with the fine-tuning required for the universe to exist at all. For example, astrophysicists now know that the values of the four fundamental forces, gravity, electromagnetic force, and the strong and weak nuclear forces, were determined less than one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. They were established one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. Alter any one value and the universe could not exist. For instance, if the ratio between nuclear strong force and electromagnetic force had been off by the tiniest fraction of the tiniest fraction, by even one part in that is a large number, <laughs> then no stars could have ever been formed at all. No stars would have been formed at all if any of those values were even altered in the slightest in one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. What? Wow. Feel free to gulp, okay? That's just like, wow. Okay. And so this is why I, part of why I believe. I believe that our God is a, a star maker, He's a galaxy creator. King David said this, and it'll blow your mind once you hear it. <laughs> In Psalm 33, verse 6, he says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. Really? By the breath of his mouth. He made this. Put up uh, that, that picture of the star, the blue one. <laughs> right? It's just like... <sighs> Right? Like, he made this. I thought it was impressive that I could whistle, right? <laughs> Seriously, I feel like I'm a really good whistler, right? Like, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then, you know, the psalmist just says, oh, by the breath of his mouth, just the slightest of whistles, <whistles> boom, right? Here comes the star. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. I want us to consider the biblical vision for a moment, even if we struggle to believe that God is the maker of these. And this picture shows just the incredible beauty and is awe-inspiring and terrifying, <laughs> right? Terrifying nature. If God breathes out fireballs like this, <laughs> right? Maybe we should have a little bit more fear of God, like right reverence for God. I watched a video this week. I watched a couple videos this week that like actually blew my mind. Like, I actually was like, I, I straight up think I blacked out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I joke. Um, but just a showing of the incredible grandness of the stars that make up our galaxies in this universe. And so I, I want to play this video for you because it just shows just from the smallest star all the way to the largest, the vastness uh, in size of the stars in our universe. Why don't we play that now? Okay, and hit play. There we go. 
all right? They're serious B. Shout out to satellite radio. <laughs> There's the earth for comparison. A black dwarf that you can't see on these screens. <laughs> That's not our sun. That's not it either. Nope, not even Proxima Centauri, They're our closest star. Still not it. There's our sun. It continues. There's Sirius B's brother. <laughs> this, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> And it just keeps getting bigger. Arcturus, what a great name for a star. Here's R2-D2's friend and brother. <laughs> just making this up. <laughs> Polaris, the North Star. Aldebaran, 61,400,000 kilometers around. No big deal. Mercury's orbit, for comparison, just give you a little bit of an idea. Regal A. Oh, okay. Yeah, zoom out a little bit. <laughs> Sun's red giant. Oh, okay, this is, this is progressing quickly. <laughs> and Terry's. with UY Scooty, the largest known star at this time, right, when, it, when the video was made in 2018. Since then, we've discovered a star called Canis Majoris, all right? I just love its name. <laughs> Canis Majoris, it's absolutely massive, and then it zooms all the way down back to Earth. Please subscribe for more science videos. <laughs> If we can hit play off the video off the top there, just, just play it one more time. I, I find it absolutely mind-boggling when we see the comparison of the size of these stars to the size of our planet, and then it's like it's, it's so hard for us to comprehend, even just that jump right there, right? Like, oh, wow, there's stars like the size of Port Moody, right? <laughs> and, and then it continues, right? And we see our earth and then a black dwarf. And then it gets going through these stars that we surely think are the sun, but it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And when it gets to the sun, I want you to hit pause. I want you to hit pause. Because without the sun and our distance from the sun, we would not have life on this planet. Now, these screens, you know, they're... They're, they're not big enough. But to give you a comparison right there, a sun that size, you know, if the earth, right, if the earth, if we were to try to give you an idea of the size of the earth in contrast to the sun, it's probably like the size of a dime, okay? Can you see yourself on it, right? Find yourself somewhere on that dime. Just the size of a small dime. And not just that, it's not just to fill the circumference of the, of the sun. 
but actually you could fit 960,000 earths into that sun right there. Just the size of, of a, like a relatively small star. 960,000 earths. It is mind-bending. It's mind-bending. And it goes all the way up to A.W. Scuddy, right? <laughs> and then recently, Canis Majoris. These very big, these very bright things are a reminder of the feelings we had as a child when we looked at the night sky. Awe, wonder, fear, perspective. And the psalmist tells us that God breathed them out of his mouth. You see, when the psalmist says that he, he spoke all of these into existence, this isn't just poetry. This is God trying to mess us up. <laughs> just totally rock our boat. And to give us perspective. Anytime, anytime in the scriptures that God wants to humble us, he always just starts talking about the stars. He always starts talking about the stars. One of my favorite uh, interactions between God and a guy named Job, where Job, you know, needed to be reminded of his place. He needed to be reminded of who God was. And God says this, the author pens, Job, man, woman, child, everyone in between, can you direct the movement of the stars? Binding the cluster of Pleiades or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the constellations through the season or guide the bear, I believe this is a constellation, with her cubs across the heavens? And the obvious answer is no. <laughs> no, I cannot. I can't even control the movement of my toddler. <laughs> right? Literally last week, I opened the fridge door and she ran into it. And <laughs> it's like... No, I, I can't even control the movement of my kid. Never mind the constellations, Lord. And I think that's the point. I think that's the point. Andrew Wilson, who wrote the book, God of All Things, says this. The stars are a reminder we need in a man-exalting and God-denying generation. That God is very big and humans are very small. Louis Giglio said this. He says, sin has the propensity to shrink God down in our minds and then to puff ourselves up in our own estimation. And the stars today, I think, begins to expand our vision, expand our perception, expand our view of God and begins to shrink us down in a really good way, in a really necessary way, in a way that brings us way down to earth in a very good, God-fearing way, puts us in our place. I'm going to invite up the band at this point as I conclude. The Beatles once said they were bigger than Jesus. No, they're not. We're actually quite small. From the height of the heavens, you can't see our accomplishments, our achievements, our knowledge, our successes. You can't see the backyard that you're beginning to work on <laughs> and try to just refine and, and make this beautiful little sanctuary for yourself. You can't see any of that. We can't even see the Great Wall of China, no matter what they tell you. 
At least, at least you can't see it for very long as you begin to zoom out from earth. And it should humble each of us in our views of ourselves if we've become too inflated. The psalmist had this realization in Psalm chapter 8. King David says this, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think of them and human beings that you should care for them? What does this mean for us? I think humility is the right response, this humility that, that David had. He said, when I look at the night sky, when I look at the stars, who are, who are human beings that you should think of them, that you should care for them, that you should, should love them? What? I think if this is true, kings should put down their crowns at his throne and presidents should bend their knee and people should bow their hands their heads and lift up their hands in awe of God. If he has truly crowned us, look what the text says. He says, you set the, the moon and the stars in place. What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? And then he says this line, yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. So although we should have this shrinking down effect in light of the galaxies and the stars, it also, there's an effect in a very good way, in a God-honoring way, in a God-centered way to recognize, and yet the God who made the stars made you and I. What this means for us is this, is you are not just a thing. Once again, I'm hitting this point from last week. You're not just a thing. You're not just the lucky benefactor of millions of years of death and mutation. You are more than a thing. You're a God thing. As Genesis tells us, a very good thing. As the Psalm 139 tells us, a wonderfully made thing. Someone crowned with glory and honor, as Psalm 8 tells us. The star maker made you in his image. Therefore, you have inherent value and worth. The stars should shrink us down in a good way, but then God's word should elevate us in a way that only he can. If the galaxy creating God cares about you, surely you have great value. Some of you have been told that you do not have value. You do not have worth. You've had things spoken over you. You've heard things at work. You've heard things from your parents. You've heard things from your spouse or a sibling or a neighbor. And it has stuck with you and it has stung you. And today the stars declare over you that you have incredible value and worth because the God who made them made you. And he, he crowned you. And he made you just a little lower than God. Point number two. What does this mean? Nothing is too big for God. Nothing is too big for God. Look what Jeremiah says. O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. This puts into perspective what we read in Ephesians, where it says that God can do more than we can ask or imagine. If God can create the stars, if God can create the known universe, surely your dreams, your plans, your problems are nothing, and they're not too hard for him. He can say no. He is the universe-making God. But he also can say yes, and nothing is beyond his capacity. Three, we should probably worship him. C.S. Lewis said, we need to follow the sunbeams back to the sun so we can enjoy the source of its goodness. 
The stars remind us to follow the sunbeams back to the sun to say, wow, God, you're the one who made that. And lastly, I want to remind you that God loves you. God loves you. God loves each of you. He's made you. He's created you. And if he created this world, he certainly, certainly loves you. He has a special plan for you. You're not a mistake or an accident. You're not. God loves you. Open your ears. Spirit of God, open our ears. God loves you. He loves you. He so dearly loves you. As that one song says, he is madly in love with you. He's written down all your days. As Acts 17 says, he's dictated the time in which you would live, the boundary of your dwelling, also that you may find your way to him. God loves you. He brought you to this city in this region and on this Sunday for a purpose and a reason. There's something he wants you to hear. And it might not be from my voice. It might be just a whisper in your soul. God loves you. He loves us, friends. He loves us. How do I know he loves us? Because he died for us. He died for you. The one that is so big, the one that is so big, he can breathe out stars like Arcturus and Canis Majoris became small, became one of us, breathed his last for our salvation on the cross. The one so big that the whole world, the whole universe is in his hands, as the song says, extended his hands from east to west on a Roman cross to demonstrate his love, justice, and goodness. The maker of the stars would rather die for you than live without you. Think about that. The one who maps out the stars and gives every single one names, every single one names, knows your name and was thinking of you on Calvary. God loves us. And God loves me. And that is why every week, and I'll invite the ushers up, we come to the table. We come to the table to remember his love, his grace, his kindness. And everyone who wants that in their life is welcome to the table. Everyone who wants to receive and believe and accept this God is welcome to the table.